We talk a little football right now, and insider calls are brought to you by Pennzoil. Motor oil is made from natural gas. The proof is in the Pennzoil, and we're joined by Radio.com Sports Insider Mike Lombardi. Mike, how you been? Hi, Mike. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Evan. Appreciate it. How you guys? We're doing Excellent. all right. Excellent. We're doing all right. Let me start off because last week, and I don't know how Joe feels about this, but I, I want the Jets to acquire good football players. That's my view on the Jets. I don't like trading away good football players for draft picks. I like having good football players. And you alluded to Yannick Ngakwe, who's not happy about his contract and how the Jets are potentially in pursuit of him. Where does that stand? Are the Jets a legitimate possibility to trade for Yannick Ngakwe? Well, you know, I, I went back and forth on that. I was told by somebody in the league they thought they were, and then later I was told no. So, you know, Douglas is pretty tight with what he does and under the vest. You know, I was told last week by a really reliable source that the deal was going to get done last Wednesday. It didn't happen. You know, these things happen when a player controls it. I know Caldwell was not happy that I leaked the report out last week because he was calling people wondering where I got it from. So I can't really get that. I think, look, the reality of the situation is it's going to cost you $17 million to put them on your team. It's also going to cost you $22, $23 million a year to keep them on your team. So that's in a light that the cap may go up. I think people are proceeding fairly cautiously only for those reasons. I mean, he is a really good player. I know the Raiders would love to have him, but the Raiders spent so much money this offseason that they have nothing left to really go after him. Guys like Logan Ryan, Jadavian Clowney, uh, any shot for one-year deals on guys like this, Mike? Well, I mean, look, I think Logan Ryan's a really good player. I love Logan coming out of Rutgers. I wanted to draft him in Cleveland. Bill ended up getting him. Uh, we took another corner stupidly ahead of him because everybody's concerned about Logan's foot speed. I think Logan could have played free safety when I was talking about him in 14, in 13, I mean. And I still think he could be a free safety. I think it's all about money. Logan wants to feel respected. He's played really well in the NFL, you know, and people are reluctant to pay him because he's not a pure man-to-man on the outside cover corner. He needs to play in the slot. He does that really well, and he'll tackle really effectively. So, you know, I, I think that would be something he could he would do. But I think it's all about money, and I think it's all about, you know, what he's going to get and where he is. Clowney, on the other hand, to me, is, is the dilemma. I talked to someone in the league last week. And Clowney was really uh, is, hasn't backed off his money. I mean, he mm-hmm. wants sixteen, seventeen million a year. He's not going to change that tune. And frankly, for a guy who's got durability issues, he's a really good player. You get a five, six, seven games out of him, but you're not getting a season. You're not getting sixteen games out of him. And if that were the case, he would have been signed by now. But he seems very steadfast and not moving off that number. So I would be hopeful. Look, I thought Everson Griffin was the bargain. He, he gives everything that Clowney gives, only he gives it 16 weeks. He plays really well. Dallas got a good player by signing him. Is it possible, like, Clowney would just not play then this season and say, look, this is my price tag. No one's matching it. No one's going to pay me. It's a weird year anyway. I'm not going to play. Forget it. I'll come back next year well, in free agency. You know, he's so his durability is such in question, whether it's the shoulder or the knee. He can't practice on Wednesday. He can't practice on Thursday. And I have a hard time believing teams are willing to give – 17, 18 million for those situations. So, you know, do I think he'll sit out? At some point, he's going to have to take a deal. Now, maybe he does sit out and get himself really healthy and come back next year. But there's a lot of headaches that go with Javion Clowney. I mean, it isn't smooth sailing. And I think Seattle learned that. Look, there was a reason. People make fun of Bill O'Brien for the general managership. There was a reason Bill shipped him out 
of Houston and paid some of the freight to get him out of there because he had issues that they couldn't really resolve, medical issues. Right. I want to get back one quick thing. I'm sorry, just to jump back to Ngakwe. For you personally, guys play basically every game, hasn't missed much time to injury. He's still relatively, I mean, very young. He's only 25 years old. Would you pay Ngakwe top money? Because obviously, like you said, he's holding out. He wants that kind of contract. He's unhappy with Jacksonville. You've watched him the last four years. What do you think? Would you pay him top dollar? Well, first of all, you know, that, that I can't answer that. If I have a young quarterback, let's say I'm the Jets, who has Darnold on his rookie contract, right. then the answer to that would be yes, because I'm going to try to collect as many good players when I've got a quarterback under a rookie contract as I can. If I'm paying Jared Goff $33 million a year, i got to be really careful paying somebody else $23 because I'm getting my cap eaten up. I'm already paying Aaron Donald a ton of money. So I think it's really predicated. You can't have many. $20 million a year players. You can't have it. It just doesn't work. The mathematics don't work. I think we're going to see next year if the cap goes to 175 or if it comes down, we'll see some of those players that are in the middle class will get eliminated. So my answer would be if I'm a rookie, a guy on a rookie contract, absolutely. Look, I think this. I think if I were a GM in the league, I'd put all my assets in quarterbacks and defensive linemen. Offensive lineman, defensive lineman, that would get all my assets. You guys could complain about the receiving core all you want. I would be spending money on defensive and offensive linemen. Mm. So you wouldn't spend money, like big money, on a safety like the Cardinals just did. You wouldn't no. do anything like that, right? No, because, look, I think look, I think Bubba Baker's a really good player. I think Jamal Adams is a good player, too. We've had this conversation. But Jamal Adams is like you need a car, so you bought yourself you know, a Tesla. You could have bought a cheaper version of the car and saved a lot of money and put money in other places. Seattle, because of the way they play, Jamal Adams fits for them. I think they've overpaid for it, frankly, in terms of what they gave up and also what they're going to pay Jamal Adams. But that's the player that Pete has always had on his defense, going back to Minnesota when he had Joey Browner. So you can understand there's a there's a, a competitive bias that goes with that position. But unless the, unless the safety unless the safety can play against three receivers and go cover the slot like Honey Badger. And Butter can do a little bit of that, too. I'm not paying him. But that's why, going back to the last few points you made, is why I would want to see the Jets make a big push for Ngakwe because they have the quarterback on the rookie deal. They need talent. They're not good enough right now to win. And so if you're going to deal Jamal Adams, which they did for a lot of you know lottery tickets, I'd like to use some of those lottery tickets to go get talent. And Yannick Ngakwe is one of those guys. So I didn't love the Jamal trade, but if they turned around and acquired a pass rusher like that, to me, it makes a lot of sense because you're trying to win. I mean, right now it seems like they're kind of kicking the can down the road and they're doing that with a quarterback that doesn't make a lot of money. Right. And and that's, you know, that's what you've got to be able to do. Look, you've got to put, you got to decide where you're putting your assets, right? You know, and Belichick does this as well as, I mean, he's only going to put his assets in places where he knows he can get the return for his investment and also what he can't draft, right? You've got to pay for what you can't draft, right? You've got to be able to find, you can't, you know, it's going to be hard to draft offensive linemen starting left tackles in the first round. You can find guards, but you can't find left tackles in the in that round. So you got to pay for that if you have to. you got to pay for defensive linemen because they're hard to find, and you got to pay for quarterbacks. How do you think the uh, uh, football is going to be early on with no preseason games? I mean, do you, do you think that's going to really make the, let's say, the first month of the season be almost like preseason? I mean, how do you how do you view that, Mike? 
Well, it's been horrible the last since the new collective bargaining agreement. It's been horrible, right? We've known that. Horrible. September's been an extension of preseason. The pad level's too high. Right. The fundamentals are not very good. The conditioning isn't very good. Now we know that's going to be even worse this year. The conditioning is going to be a huge issue. Teams are going to run out of gas in the second quarter as opposed to the third this year. So I think it's going to be really tough. I think it's going to be balanced. It's going to give bad teams a chance to win games against good teams because the level of play will be even because some teams won't be in as great shape. I think conditioning is going to matter. I think less that you do fundamentally and, t- and scheme-wise, the better team you'll have in September. I think you're going to have to build your playbook as you go through the season. If you want any young player to play, you better have a minimum playbook because there's no way a player is going to learn the playbook in 21 days before the opener. It's just impossible. So you've got to build the momentum and you've got to go slowly. It's like a teacher's lesson plan. You're going to have to go slow. You've got to emphasize pad level and conditioning. And right now, I think that's going to be the problem. I think it's going to be ugly. I'm going to love having it, but I think it's going to be ugly. Yeah, I think we're expecting that. We're talking to Mike Lombardi. We're talking football with him. Obviously, Joe Judge is going to be rated based on if he wins or not. And let's get that out of the way because that's obvious. No matter what your personality is, if you win, you're the greatest. If you lose, you're a loser. That's essentially how things work. With that said, I like the fact, my first impressions of him, second impressions now, are positive. I like the fact that he's tough. And I like the fact that, you know, he's making guys run laps. What, what's your feeling on what you've heard from about so far and what we've seen so far from Joe Judge, the head coach? Well, I think what Parcell said the other day in the paper is true. I think Joe Judge has to be authentic in what he does, right? It, you know, he learned from one of the greatest coaches of all time in Belichick, and he was around Nick Saban. But he has to be Joe Judge. You know, he has to be authentic because when the losses come, and they're going to come, then people are going to take shots at him. And he's got to be authentic. And the player's got to sense his authenticity in his leadership style. I think he's got the right idea. You've got to put demands on the players. You've got to hold players accountable. You've got to push everybody. Look, Philadelphia just fired Brett Brown. He was nice to everybody. All the players who loved him after he got fired came out and said, well, he didn't hold anybody accountable. Well, that's what they wanted. Right. That's what happens to you. When you become a player's coach, you get fired for being a player's coach. You've got to be demanding. You've got to hold people accountable. You've got to push towards excellence. Joe knows how to do all those things, but he he must do it in his style. It has to come from an authentic standpoint. It can't come from he's a bad imitation of Bill Belichick. Do you get the impression that that it's authentic, though? Or do you get the impression he's imitating Belichick? Well, I, I think it's authentic because it's all he knows. He's only right. been in the – I mean, he went work for Nick Saban, but the reality of it is his formal training is with Belichick. And so that's what he knows, that's what he believes in, and that's how he's going to behave. The problem, and I've said this on my podcast before, you can behave that way when Belichick's down the hall because everybody knows the principal's down the other, in the other office. But without Belichick there to help you, sometimes that becomes a problem. He's going to learn through it. Look. In 1991, we can go back and read the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and the Cleveland reporters called Belichick a bad imitation of Bill Parcells. He wasn't trying to imitate Bill Parcells. He was who he was. But we ended up the season 6-10, and 10, and so he got labeled as a bad imitation. You know, he doesn't know anything about offense. He's Bill Parcells, one 2.0. All those things weren't true. But yet it was his authentic leadership that eventually came through. That's what Joe has to do. Like Earl Thomas let go by the Ravens, does he wind up with the Cowboys? 
I don't think so. Look, I think if you do just a little bit of digging, you don't have to be Columbo to do much work on Earl Thomas to know there's problems, right? There is issues. There was problems in the Seattle locker room. We saw his behavior there. There were huge problems in Baltimore's locker room. Baltimore would not have taken a huge cap loss if this wasn't serious. And his inability to get along with coaches, players, teammates, everyone became a problem. So when you take that on, you're asking your locker room to do something that's probably not suited well to do. Dallas, I don't think, will do it because even though Jerry's instincts is to sign Earl Thomas to make him better, I think McCarthy's got enough control there to say, hey, this guy's not very good. Let's call a couple people around the league to find out what we're really getting here. And once you make a couple of those calls, you'll back off. Who signs him? Who do you think is going to actually go take him then? Oh, I, 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 that's a really hard one. I, I, you know, that's going to be a hard one for me to guess. I mean, it's somebody that knows him, that remembers him. Indianapolis has a, has one of their, their personnel director uh, had him in Seattle. Maybe they try to sign him if they feel like they can get him fixed or he's, his behavior's changed. But the off-the-field issues, starting with the fight with his wife, going back, they have been problematic, and they, they're there, and I think they're not going to go away until Earl decides to take care of them. You know, there was talk, uh, Mike, about uh, the Dolphins maybe having some fans in, in the stadium, maybe 15,000 fans or something like that, where there's going to be other, like in New Jersey here with the Jets and Giants, they're not going to allow anybody in the stadium. Most teams. I was like, right. the Vikings right, announced right. no fans, Bill, right. like well, a lot most of teams. teams. Most right. teams, but I'm just, you know, talking about the local team. Uh, well, what's your thoughts on that? Do you think that that should be just universal? Nobody has any fans in, in the stadiums? I think that I, I, I think. Look, you got to let the states do what they can do, right? Uh, you know, I mean, I think it's unfair. There is a little bit of a competitive disadvantage, but look, twenty thousand people in Arrowhead, where they're all sitting six six feet apart, ain't like having seventy thousand. Exactly. You know, so yeah. I mean, like, is is it probably a little bit of an advantage, slightly, but it's not enough to really. If the state of Kansas will allow people to go in, I think they should do it. If the state of New Jersey won't allow it because of what we've been through, you know, then then it can't happen. So for me, I, I think way too much is being made of it. I think this is classically what happens is you start start worrying about things you can't control, and the variables that you need to control are the ones that you can control. Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal because I think, like you said, when you spread fifteen thousand people out, you're barely going to notice anybody's there. Like it's not. It's not exactly going to be Seattle with 80,000 people and you can't hear yourself think. I don't think we're looking at a situation like that. Do you, you know, as we try to figure out who's going to do what in the NFL, one of the beautiful things about the NFL is year to year you have no idea. There's certain things you know, but a lot of things we don't. Do you give teams with continuity a bigger edge than normal? How do you kind of handicap how to figure out what team is going to succeed in such an unorthodox season like we're about to deal with? Well, I think I think veteran head coaches that have been through preparation for a season have a, have an advantage. There's no doubt about that. They know how to get their team ready. They know what a good football team looks like, pad level, conditioning, all that. So I think that I think the continuity of quarterback is going to be critical. The continuity within the offensive scheme is going to be critical. You know, and I think that the team, the coaches that understand that they they the variables that they can control. You know, football is a game that you must avoid losing before you can win. So what does that mean? That means, okay, we're not turning the ball over. We're going to play good in the red area. We're going to be good in all three phases of the game. 
we're going to be able to minimize our penalties. We're not going to make mental mistakes. We're going to keep the scheme smaller. The, the coaches that understand the variables on how to win, I think, are the ones who are going to have a better chance at winning in September because of that. The ones that emphasize conditioning, the one that understands September is really about those things, I think they will. So I looked at veteran coaches. I think it's about coaches and quarterbacks in September. All right, the Patriots are going to have a new look this year, obviously. Cam Newton's going to be the quarterback. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of guys aren't playing. A lot of guys have opted out. Dante Hightower being one that's opted out because of the uh, the virus. What do you What do you expect from New England this year? You know, I, th- I, I look. I know I'm a Patriot homie, so, homie. So you know, my son coaches the wide receivers there, so I say that with full disclosure. But I was a Cam Newton fan before they signed him. I thought Cam Newton is was an MVP player. You know, I think he was hurt. I think it was unfair to judge him as he was injured. I think they'll have an opportunity where he'll come in there. He's a desperate guy wanting to prove that he still has great game left in him. And I think he will. I think I think they'll tailor their offense around what he can do. I think he's dynamic. You know, he's gained 1,600 yards in his career running the ball on third down. He can run it and he can throw it. And I think it's unique for the Patriots to have that in their arsenal. I think the question marks on the guys that have opted out, Hightower will be a challenge to replace. They need to get bigger and stronger in their defensive front because I don't think they have enough guys there. But I know Belichick will, will emphasize conditioning. He'll emphasize winning in three phases. He'll emphasize not turning the ball over. All the variables that he can control, he will. I think it gives him a great advantage. You know, kind of piggybacking on what you said before about veteran coaches and veteran quarterbacks, it's kind of another reason why, if I'm the Dolphins, I'm starting Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, I don't care how good Tua looks during this time, but with no preseason games, obviously the injury questions, do you think that's what they're going to do, and how would you handle that situation down in Miami, a quarterback? Oh, I think they're definitely starting Tua. No, I think they're going to, I definitely think they're starting Fitzpatrick. No, oh, okay. I do think they'll have a package for Tua. I think, I think in New England they'll show up with Tua will come on the field, Fitzpatrick probably be on the field too, and they'll do something, some kind of trickery to kind of get make New England have to prepare for it. They're not going to tell New England they're going to start Fitzpatrick, but they're going to because, look, what I said earlier on the program was the volume of offense that the young quarterback's going to have to learn Right. And then it's going to move way faster at the game than it does in practice. It's going to be challenging for any rookie quarterback to step in. Now, Joe Burrow is going to do it because they have no alternative. They're going to make him, and he's going to grow by under fire. So we'll see that. But I think all these young teams that have quarterback, you know, in their first year, the best thing you can do is let them let them watch for a little bit. Talking to uh, Michael Lombardi, football with him, opening night just uh, two weeks from Thursday, which is which is really mind-boggling, no doubt about it. Michael, we've seen what's happened in baseball. Uh, there's been positive tests, and we've seen teams. We saw the Cardinals shut down for over two weeks uh, without playing a baseball game. We saw it with the Marlins early, even the Mets over the weekend here, or they're playing now. Uh, if, if something happens like that in the NFL, what happens? Would they, would, would they do the same and, okay, that team and that whoever they're playing is not going to play this weekend? Would that shut the sport down in your mind for a week? I mean, how do you think that would play out? Well, I think what every game is going to be treated like a road game. So the home teams, uh, let's say the Jets, the, the Jets are going to report to their facility at, say, 12 o'clock out in Florham Park, and everybody's going to get tested on the Saturday afternoon. And then from that time, once that test comes in, everybody's going to know, you know that they're, that they're positive. They're going to go and play the game. They're not going home that night. They're basically going to bubble 
for the next 40, 24, 48, 36 hours until the game's over. So I think that there's a good way to control it. Now they're going to test on Thursday. They'll test those guys, and they'll be able to see what they have and what they don't have, and they'll continue to test. So I think it can work. Look, our numbers in America are coming down. Yeah. I think if we right. do the right things, you know, if we social distance, if we wash our hands, we wear mat, we do the right things, we, we can make this happen. I think it'll happen in the NFL. I think the players' union and the, and the coaches and everybody's working towards making sure it does. It's important. And they're disciplining themselves, unlike baseball, who, you know, those baseball players, they just did what they typically normally do when they go on the road. Yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways the NFL's benefiting from their time because they have a chance to look at what happened to the Marlins, what happened to the Cardinals, and say and use that as an example of you can't be the Marlins, you can't be the Cardinals. You literally have to follow these rules, like everything depends on it. And the fact I know they had the snafu over the weekend with with the lab that had all these false positives, but you hit on it. We haven't had a positive test in the NFL in weeks. I think it's a great sign that we're get, we're gonna have a season and maybe there won't be any interruptions during it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I think we can do it. I think we've proven so far that we've been really good at doing it. I think the NFL's been, and you got to credit the players' union. I mean, they're really helpful, and they're making sure the players stay compliant. I know teams are really doing a good job of making sure the players emphasize the importance of staying safe once you leave the facility. So, look, it's important for all of us to have a great fall, and I think we can do it as long as we as long as the players stay safe. You know, I want to ask you, I know you're an NFL guy, but i got to ask you about the college football situation. I mean, we're already seeing where you know, the Big Ten's not going to play, the Pac-12's not going to play. We still don't know about the other three power conferences. Like, they're planning on, I guess, playing at this point in time. Well, what's your overall thoughts on that and how that would impact the draft, you know, next spring? I mean, how about that, Mike? Well, I, you know, I, I wrote a column for The Athletic on this, and I, and I talked about I didn't think there was a right or wrong answer, but then I watched some of these colleges behave. North Carolina, Oklahoma State, and I saw the way these kids were behaving. And I come to the conclusion that maybe putting some of the players, the football players, in a bubble may not be the worst thing because they don't seem like they can discipline themselves outside the bubble. And maybe that will help stop the spread of some of this virus on campuses. And maybe football could really help. I think young people need direction. They need leadership. They need discipline. And I think football brings those things to it. So I was disappointed with the Big Ten's decision. I know all the ADs in the Big Ten voted against it, but Kevin Warren decided not to for whatever reason. I'm not sure. I think it's. I think I think it can be done. I think it has to be really worked out hard and planned, and the players have to not behave in a manner to where they're just going to behave like like typical college students that go anywhere. So I, I think the draft. As for the draft, I think you're going to see a lot of players opt out whether they're first-day pick, second-day pick, or even third-day pick. I think some of the guys in the third, fourth round will opt out just because they don't want to take the risk, and they'll move forward and get into the draft. I think the 0-1, the 21 draft will have a lot of guys in it. I think the 22 draft will be watered down. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, Mike, great talking to you. We appreciate it. Can't Thanks, wait for guys. The season I appreciate to start. you having me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank Mike. You, man. Mike Lombardi, Radio.com Sports Insider. And Insider Calls are brought to you by Pennzoil Motor Oils made from natural gas, the proof is in the pens oil. I'm disgusted because I watched J.D. Davis me, get picked you know, off at second base with two on, many, one out in the first. How many outs have the Mets had on the base pads this year? I mean, they have been thrown out on the bases. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, 26 games, I, I don't know what the number is, but whether it's at third base, 
whether it's guys get we saw Jimenez get his first hit of his career and get picked properly. Well, how about the Billy off. Hamilton one? That's the one that jumps Billy, out. Right, Billy Hamilton. We've seen guys get thrown out at the plate. Jimenez as well, one of those. We saw Nimmo get thrown out at third trying to, uh, you know, uh, I, I mean, it's unbelievable. I yeah. mean, the amount of guys who have been thrown out on the bases by the Mets this year has been ridiculous. Well, and that really situation is. is stupid. It's first and second one. I mean, where where is he going? Where the hell is Davis going? With Alon- going right. Anywhere. right. One That's out, the Alonzo up first and second, and this guy gets himself picked off second base. I mean, come on. They are scoreless in the bottom of the first inning. We'll-